You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Psychotherapist in private practice for 32 years now. Guess what, everyone? We all have issues. So it's time to lighten up and move forward. Let's stop letting our crap control us and take control of our crap. Good evening. I want to say hi to everybody, and we have such a great show tonight. I'm so excited about tonight. Um, But first, let's do introductions. We have David Wright with us tonight. I am here. How's everybody doing? Doing good, doing good. Awesome. we got Matthew Burita. Hi, Matthew. Hello, everybody. And we have Lisa Bunnage. Did I say that right, Lisa? Yes, you did. Good. Lisa Bonich. Um, she is our special guest tonight, which I'm so excited about because we're going to talk about with her the hookup culture. Um, she's got like, what was it, 30 plus or 40 years experience in, in parenting coaching? Isn't is that? Well, I, I've been running my business now since 2007, but I started really, I would say, working with kids when I was about 12. I started volunteering in daycare centers, and they always put me with the really difficult kids. They used to call me the kid whisperer. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's your calling. Yeah, I was drawn to kids who were misunderstood yeah. and acting out and just yeah. the challenges. Right. So it started there. Then I volunteered with troubled teens as the years yeah. went by, and they said, "Lisa, you have to teach other people to do what you do." Yeah, so became they became a parenting coach. They told me what to do. So, and then I spent five thousand dollars on career counseling and became a parenting coach. So, <laughs> if I just, I just so, but anyway, that's what I do. I absolutely love what I do, and I feel very honored that parents trust me with their with their parents. parents thing, you know, yeah. it's a- well, it's definitely needed, and it's such a, a an important time right now for it. And you know, Lisa did this amazing TED talk that. I watched on YouTube and then I, I fan mailed her and emailed her and, and, you know, just asked her to be on this podcast because my daughter and I, it actually all started with my daughter. You know, I said, you know, we need to reach a younger audience. We need to like deal with the issues of today. And she's the one that said, mom, you got to deal with the hookup culture. Like she's a college student at the university of Michigan. She was talking about it. And so I emailed Lisa, and now we have her here today. So I'm so excited about that. And we're going to get right into the hookup culture. Um, But before we do, to all of our our listeners, um, we are on Spotify, Podcast Detroit, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, YouTube, Facebook. Lisa, you are, um, uh, people can find you at bratbusters.com, correct? Yes. Brat, B-R-A-T, Busters, B-U-S-T-E-R-S.com. Um, so after today's show, and at the end, I'm going to, you know, state her her email address again and her website um, for anybody who's going to be interested in maybe talking with her or sending her a message. Um, so for all of those users, of course, I say this every time, please, you know, click like and subscribe and let us know what you're thinking because it is important to us. Um, that being said, I want to jump right into this topic and Lisa, before we even start, let's, let's describe to everybody listening what hookup culture is. So I kind of wish I'd done some research before this, because I'm not exactly sure. 
I you did. I put it in the category of uh, sex without feelings. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the way I look at it. And you yeah. know what's interesting is when I was raising my kids, I started talking to them about sex from the time they were probably three and four. In that, I talked about their bodies, their private yes. parts, other, you know, sort of started slow. Whenever they asked me something more advanced, I'd say, well, we'll talk when you're a bit older. And they never pushed. You know, they didn't really want to talk about it anyway. But <laughs> what I said, my son said I ruined his life because uh, I always talked about it, not mechanically, but with feelings. So whenever I talked about sex, anything to do with sex, I always talked about feelings. There was emotions involved, and there always should be. And I used to say, you don't have to be married to the person. You don't even have to be in love with them. But there has to be some emotional connection. You have to like them, something about them. So my son said, great. Now I never have a one-night stand. He's going to have a girlfriend. So he said, he's 30 now. But he used to say, yeah. you ruined my life because all his friends were out boinking girls and he yeah. couldn't do it without, you know, the feelings because yes. he associated it with that. So you're welcome. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. so yeah. sex without feelings and it, it is yeah. used as a tool to get, I mean, it might feel good in the moment too. I'm not, not you know, saying that's not a case, but it, it's used as a tool to get people to like you. That's mm-hmm. basically what they're doing. They want to yeah. be popular. They're going about it the wrong way. I could go yeah. on forever, so I'm just going to yeah. stop there. That's yeah. my sort of analogy of, of what it means. Yeah, and I think that sums it up. I mean, I think it's and it's any kind of physical contact that young people have. They kind of, when I researched it, they differentiated it into like teenagers and pre, you know, middle schoolers, where a kiss can, to them can be a hookup. Um, onto any form of physical contact can be a hookup. But the struggle, like you said, is that for a lot of people, the emotions are missing. They're left out. And um, for men more so than women, that for girls, the, the articles that I read said it's a little bit different because her, her hopes and her intentions um, maybe more about it being more than just something physical that she, some women feel that some girls, and I'm sure men feel this too, um, that they're hoping that if they do some physical connecting, that it will lead to a relationship. So the thing that stood out as I was reading about it was how confusing how easily the hookup culture, two people can misunderstand each other, that it's not, it wasn't defined well from the motivation wasn't clearly defined, um, that it's, it's about physically connecting, you know, people getting together and doing a physical connect, whether it's oral or anal or intercourse or a kiss or fondling, whatever it was, it was a physical connection, but it didn't it was confusing in regards to, is this just a one night stand? And that's probably where people probably struggle. So, well, I yeah. think that, I don't know how graphic I should be here, but yeah. uh, oh. I've worked with a lot of kids who've gotten involved in the hookup culture. Now we're not just talking about one night stands. We're talking about going to parties and having group sex. That's mm-hmm. really what I yes. was talking about when I did that talk. Now, you got to remember, when I did that TEDx talk, they really want you to talk about something that's going to get views. 
you know, I want to talk about bullying and all this other stuff. And I gave, I threw that one in because I knew they'd like it. Sure enough, they took that one. So um, <laughs> it's not the thing that I talk about often in my business, but when I do, I've talked about it enough that I know how to talk to the kids who are doing yeah. it. But yeah. what I mean, what I meant when I was in that TEDx talk was the, the group sex and the things that they were doing, they'd get high on ecstasy or I don't know what pills are out there. I say it all wrong, evidently. Thank God I'm a nerd that way. I don't know anything about drugs. But um, they would often be high and it would often be done in a group situation. And there was a lot of peer pressure to normalize it. Now, these are kids that go to raves and stuff like that. It's a very specific type of teen, usually teenager or young adults. So they're not all doing it. And a lot of them say, Lisa doesn't know what she's talking about. There's no such thing. Oh, yes, there is. Because I've also talked to the police who raided these parties and seen exactly what's going on so they are out there but it's a small part of the population so that's why I don't talk about it a lot because there's really not a lot of kids out there doing it but the ones who do their self-esteem is in the toilet right it's just ruined for many many years and that's the unfortunate thing. You make a poor decision today and it's a big one like that, you're gonna you're gonna be paying for that for a long time. I know. So that's what upsets me about it is the way that they're just damaging their self-esteem. I know, I know. Yeah, you, you and I talked about it a little bit. Are we getting a little bit of a kickback from me? Um so um yeah, that that there's that small population and then you know there's the bigger population that I think it can be just as confused, can struggle. Um, you know, one article I was reading was about college students and um, how, in fact, we were talking about this. I think we were talking about how porn has become the educator of mm-hmm. sex ed for kids. W- weren't we talking about that, Lisa? Well, I'm sure I would have been because that's what kids are using to teach them about sex and the reason why I'm sure we would have talked about that is you look at pornography and I used to tell my kids when they were teenagers you go check it out for the mechanics but it's not what it's like like there's just no emotion whatsoever in there so you know you can learn about I told my kids that learn about the mechanics but that's about it like that's not the way you know it's not like you're going to walk into a dairy queen all of a sudden oh I need you now I mean you know that's not so, so porn is just a um it's an industry that serves a purpose, I guess. I don't know. I'm not really into it, but it's um, it certainly is lacking the emotion. Now, I also want to say that there is a culture out there, adults out there, who do go around and just have sex. I, I know of people like that. They're quite happy to do that. It doesn't ruin. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but I don't think 13-year-olds should be doing that. I don't think 17-year-olds should be doing that. You know, once you're an adult, then you make your own decisions. I'm not judging you. You do whatever you want to do. Go have group sex. I don't know what they call it. Orgies. I don't care, but I do not like seeing 15-year-olds being pulled into that. And that is my concern as a parenting coach because I talk about 18 and under, basically. Mm -hmm. They're children. Yeah. Right. Your frontal lobe, I don't know anything about psychology, but it's not even developed yet. I'm 60 and I'm still working on mine. So, you know, they just can't make those big decisions. And as I said previously, they will affect them for many, many years to come. I think think the challenge is, a lot of it is, and and again, I I work with a lot of adolescents, as I'm sure you, Matthew, you and Mary Grace both see adolescents in your office. And it's 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 access, and we go back to the porn and the and sex online and whatever information you can find online. In it, typically, and and I'll sound like an old man. Back in my day, we didn't have internet. 
we might have found a magazine every once in a while or the Sears catalog was was what what our you know mm-hmm. material was so it wasn't accessible like it is now and and because kids are getting phones at ages 5 6 and not being supervised it's being accessed way earlier than when we used to be right. exposed to it right well and it's what they're being exposed to is so broad i mean it isn't as simplistic as a playboy magazine and it gets into areas that are of concern, whether it's sadomasochism, bestiality. I mean, things just like Lisa said earlier, like there's no emotions involved. Mm-hmm. Like it is truly um, just objectified and just functioning. So that's what's got to be hard. And, you know, Lisa, when we talk, can you take us through the history a little bit? Because you did this wonderful um, um, presentation for me about how it kind of evolved and, and how porn ended up being the sex educator for, for, for kids today. Well, I don't really remember what I said, but um, sounds like it was quite good, actually. It was so good. <laughs> I mean, you kind of took me through like, you know, like the 60s and 70s, you know, well, you know, parents used to be the educator. And then in the 80s, there was this real turn and transition with parents expecting schools to teach kids. Okay, so what happened was, I believe this is just my surmise. Yeah. You know, I had to put something in that speech, but actually I think I kind of got something in there that that was true, was that back in the 60s, our parents were raising us. In the 70s, the moms went to work Mm -hmm. and in the 80s, and there was a shift. I'm not saying they shouldn't have gone back to work. I'm not a feminist or non-feminist, but it's just what happened. Moms were not around. Now, it's not just about your mom, but the neighborhood. We couldn't get away with anything in our neighborhood. All the moms knew all the kids. There was a million eyes on you. There was a village raising the kids. All of a sudden, it segmented, and you had to go straight home. You were the latchkey kid, and it changed everything. You were sort of on your own a little bit more. Then, now, I don't quite know how this happened, but then the moms started looking just like the daughters. There was no generation gap. So we were, and, and that sort of, they became buddies. Yeah. And they weren't really educating. They were yep. trying to be buddies and trying to be cool. And they wanted to be popular with their kids. No freaking way did I want to be popular. Yeah. I'm mom, you know, and I was best friends with my kids. I was the goofiest mom around. I wore underpants on my head, chasing them around the house. Finally, when they were about 20, they said enough's enough. But anyway, <laughs> um, but anyway, I was definitely buddy, but I was mom first. And that is what's missing. I was mom. I wanted my kids to be taught about sex from me and yeah. experience it you know, with my teachings behind them, like attach emotion, really think it through. Don't do it in the moment. You know, I told them all this stuff long before they even knew what I was talking about. And that's the mistake that parents make. They tell them too late and they haven't been raised hearing it over and over and over again. And I didn't have the talk. We'd be driving along in the car and I'd see a girl and a guy all over each other. And I'd say, you see that? And that would open up the conversation like five minutes. We talked about it all the time. Now, parents, when they're trying to be buddies with their kids, and this is what happens these days, although I've seen it's changing, they're getting more of the parents again. But what was happening is they talked about it in a cool way. Like, oh, yeah, you know, it's so great. He's such a great guy. You know, it was almost like they were just sort of in it. It was just bizarre to me, like when I look back on that. 
And, but now I see the parents, they're realizing what was happening. They don't want to be raised the way they, they don't want to raise their children the way they were raised, like buddy, buddy. They do want to be leaders because I teach leadership, leadership parenting, you know, like you have a really good football coach or whatever, you know, and he's a great guy, but he's still a leader and you want to please him. You know, he's someone that you want to tell everything to. That's what I was. I was mom. I was the mentor. I was the one they went to. And that when they've got that behind them, they don't tend to make mistakes. Yeah. And if they're not sure about something, they come to me. What do you think? And I never told them what to do. I said, well, let's talk it through. You'll make a good decision. You're right. But it's that leadership I saw completely disappear. Now, I um, disciplined with fun. I made it always made it fun. Like if my son was late for school, I got a massage that night. Like that's how I sort of did it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I always tried to use humor. But we used to parent back in the 50s and 60s through fear. There was a gigantic um, void, like a generation gap. Remember that? Like our kids, our, our, would you have ever dressed like your mother? I mean, just, I just wouldn't have, you know. And so the generation gap really, the, the, we didn't connect in the same way. We respected them, but a lot of fear was put into it. Now, I don't believe that's appropriate anymore. I think that we want to be able to be relatable and I want I want my children to come to me um, to be able to talk things through. I'm not going to tell them what to do. And this prepares them for anything. I didn't give a hoot what my kids saw on the internet. I could have cared less because I had already filled them up with all the good information. They came to me first. So they could see whatever they wanted. You know, people talk about how do we prevent bullying? How do we teach? How do we get the, the, the teachers to teach our kids about sex? Where do they learn? You do all that at home. You prepare them. You strengthen their self-esteem and their confidence. So when they go out in the world and see the bad stuff, they know what they're going to do. They know who they are. And if they don't, they come to me to say, Mom, I'm confused about this. So if there's real strength in that real strong, strong leadership and that's what I really believe in I could have given a hoot with my kids so I really just didn't care because I knew they knew who they were yeah yeah so So, I was just thinking about young people um college students who might be listening and who are facing you know these this hookup culture where you know there's some some young people that they really want to experience dating with the emotional part as well as a slow, gradual experience into the sexual part. And it's really hard for them right now because like we were saying earlier, there's, there's such a, a confusion and a detachment from the emotional side of things. And they're young. It's hard. You know, I have people in their 40s and 50s and 30s that have a hard time talking about their needs and wants or limits and knows in a relationship, let alone a 18-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 19-year-old. And so they're facing this very difficult time. And um, what a tip that I give kids in high school Um, I used to work in an alternative school and um, they had me come in and work with the kids because um, teen pregnancy became a serious problem in the school. And I was watching these kids and getting to know them and they were all really like unique, strong personalities, cool, these really cool little individuals. And I stand there and I was thinking, how in the heck can I slow down time for them? Because when you venture into physical contact and any kind of sexual experience, 
your thoughts and your body move quickly. And so I, and I didn't tell them don't have sex. I said, you need to slow down. I talked to them about impulsivity and that they had to slow down their impulses. And they, we were, we needed to find ways to do that. Whether it's, I have to go to the bathroom, you know, stop for a minute. My bladder's going to burst. Oh my God, my contact popped out. You know, I, I just give me a minute. I, I can't see. Oh, my phone is buzzing. Oh, you know, it might be my mom. Let me step away for a minute that they've just needed to slow down the intensity enough to be able to think and to figure out what they wanted or needed. Um, so we create, I called, I called it the lie list. Um, things that they could say to slow down the intensity of the moment so that they could think about what they wanted or needed. And when I think about college students and in, in one of the articles that I read, it was saying that alcohol and drugs are such a big part of the hookup. And in talking, Dave and Matthew, you know, we talk to the kids after they have an experience and they have so much regret. So I know that slowing down their impulsivity is key. And second is, you know, watching the alcohol and the drug use, because then you really don't have control. And if you don't have control, you're probably going to have regret. Um, Is there anything that we could touch on or add to, especially those college age kids that can maybe help them with this problem or struggle or adventure or exploration that they don't end up going through these shame spirals, we call it afterwards. Cause I know Matthew, Dave, like we get kids who, you know, they have such a hard time even talking about it because they have shame. So what, what could we hit on or is there something we could give the college student? Well, one is, of course, you got to watch the drinking. I mean, you got to have some control over the drinking and the drugging. Um, the other is slowing down the impulses. But is there something that they can, that there's a way of talking with each other or saying to each other that could possibly help these kids? Are you addressing me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was writing down what you said. How can I slow down time for them? Cause they're very, you know, yeah. in the, pool. Um, the thing that I, when I talk to kids, I actually don't discuss these things in detail. What I work on, all I work on is self-esteem. Yeah. And I ask them, I say, well, what do you really want out of life? What do you do? How do you feel? You know, and we get, we sort of develop, I sort of put their, their whole, um, self-esteem sort of on the line. We talk about that and I look for weaknesses and then then we work on those. And I try and, if you've got high self-esteem, you're not, you don't fall prey to anything like that. So the tools, as good as they are, they are just tools, but I I like to get right down to the basis and say, why, you know, um, how do you feel in that moment? Do you feel good about yourself? If you feel really good about yourself when you're with someone, maybe go ahead with it. If you're doing it for all the wrong reasons, like know who you are. Think you're worthy of it. So work on yourself, not in the moment, but outside. You can't do anything in the moment, right? The mm-hmm. hormones are flying. But work on yourself outside of the moment and strengthen yourself so you're not going to get yourself okay. in that anyway, right? So 
this is what we work on. And it, it's really intense. There's a lot of tears and a lot of, you know, stuff. And that's just neat. But anyway, um, yeah. you know, they're, they're really struggling to build their self-esteem. Yeah. And maybe they didn't, their parents didn't really work on that when they were younger. They were maybe bullied. Like children with high self-esteem are never bullied. They don't bully yeah. and they're never bullied, right? They're set up for life because yeah. they, they know who they are. And that's all that counts. And that's really what I work on with children. And I teach parents how to not push. You know, this is quite interesting, actually. There's a lot of really wonderful parents out there. And I have so much empathy for them. You know, I know it's hard parenting. But one big mistake a lot of them make is they make the mistake of viewing their children's feelings and drives and wants and needs and beliefs based on their own. Which children often grow up in that environment thinking, you know, I'm not adequate because. I don't believe in what my parents believe. I'm different. So that it's almost like their own beliefs are sort of not even taken into consideration. So that's why I never told my kids what to do when they were growing up. I said, well, how do you feel about that? They'd say, well, how do you feel? I said, I don't know. I didn't even think about that before. So I always kind of played dumb and got them talking. And we found out who they were. Now, what's interesting about that is if you're not learning and changing through parenting, you're missing out. Your children are going to teach you more than anyone else will. So get to know their wants, their needs, who they are, and build that up so that they're so full of themselves. They think they're so terrific. They really are not going to fall prey and be victims of anyone. So that's what I work on is self-esteem. You know, I'm not a psychologist. I don't understand why I do that. It's just been the most successful route that I have found and all I know how to do. Yeah. Um, I do use tools. I, the only time I use a lot of tools, very specific tools, is with bullying. Um, that one, we go through a lot of really specific tools because with bullying, you're, you can't control that. Yeah. So you can't, you know, but we, I teach children how to uh, fake it till you make it. So they may yeah. not have high self-esteem. They usually don't when I work with them. But by the end of it, they have enough tools to use to fake it and get away from the bully. So, um, but as great as the tools are in the moment, it's really not where I, where I work. That's sort of, um, yeah. I agree. It's, yeah, I it's think, wonderful to have a tool bag. Yes. I think, you know, you hit it. I mean, Matthew and Dave can jump in here any minute. Cause when we work with the, especially the young adults and the teens, that self-esteem issue is so, so at the core, it's like a main artery for these young people. Can I also jump in here? Uh, sorry, but I do specialize in teenagers. That's my area. And um, I, whenever I worked with teenagers, it was interesting because, and I worked with ones who were really in a lot of trouble and they were, you know, just being reintroduced back into the high school. If they could, you know, not bring a knife or whatever. <laughs> it's pretty violent kids. And it was interesting. I had to find what made them feel good about themselves. And often it wasn't something they were good at. Like I worked with kids who were really good at math. Um, but they hated it, but they loved to draw. So what did I build up? The drawing. What made them feel good about themselves? I always was trying to find something that I liked about them and that they were proud of. So it's not always something, you have to let them show you the way. It's not going to be always something that you, the pathway is not, is not, it shouldn't be directed by you. It should be shown to you by them. Does that make any sense? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. Well, Dave and Matthew, I mean, what are your thoughts? I agree. I think I think in terms of, you know, at the risk of being kind of the science of it and the psychiatry of it, but also matching what Lisa's saying and, you know, 
the prefrontal cortex, the, you know, the, the frontal cortex. And I know these are just like, you know, crazy big terms, but essentially the brain. And it's like, it, it develops at different levels at different stages. And, you know, the, the notion of knowing who you are. And I asked that even when I've worked in an incarceral setting, residential outpatient, you know, private sector, community mental health, every single environment, my approach never changes. And I, I always get to the question of who are you? Mm-hmm. And are you happy where you're at? Mm-hmm. Because those are closely related. And then also talking about like what we said with the shame and the guilt, yeah. you know, the guilt is, you know, re- the guilt is associated with the behaviors. And then if those are left unaddressed or they're not able to know who they are at home and it doesn't, and that's another thing too, for listeners too, I think it's that, you know, recognizing that, you know, yes, the parents, but then I think that also can mean so many different things nowadays too. So it's like, I always say like your parents, the, you know, caregiver, the special person, right. And it's interesting because when I say, when I use the terminology and the verbiage special person, I see a spark light up in people. And then they start to talk and then they start, you know, cause it's not always the parent because as Lisa was saying, a lot of parents try to, it's almost like they're beating the life force out of their child because they want their child to emulate them. Right. And we know that's, that's rooted in a kind of an insecure attachment style. We know that it creates anxiety. Um, for years, we've known that that's not changed. Um, and yet it's, you know, that's something that is a pattern that's hard to break because it is a pattern. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a default. It's a, it's, it's a quasi safe place that people, a lot of parents do fall into that kind of trap of, you know, I'm just trying to help my child. I hear that a lot when I've done parental guidance and it's like, okay, well, helping your child is allowing them to breathe, allowing them to spread out, allowing their identity to grow and cultivating, a, you know, this kind of experience but environment for them to reach their highest potential and people kids reach their highest potential when they're and and we see this as you know pre-pubescent pubescent post-pubescent young adult middle adult we reach our highest potential when an, an individual but a child you know an adolescent can exist in a culture in an environment where they're able to like kind of reach their highest potential. And that stems from allowing them, like Lisa was saying, it's like, no, like, well, no, I don't know what that, what, what do you think about that? Right. So kind of putting it back in their lap to actually help them think. I mean, we refer to that as metacognition, just thinking about our thinking, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that part of critical thinking is, you know, is missing. It's like when I'm talking with students a lot of times and I'll ask questions or they'll, they'll, I have students who will ask questions in the classroom and I'll say to them, that's a good question. Come back next week with the answer for all of us. Mm -hmm. And you should see like everyone's eyes and like, it's kind of like, well, this, this jerk, you know, like, but guess what? They come back next week and they teach the class Mm -hmm. and they went home and they went to their special around their special people and they went to their special place. And, you know, they had some fervor, some, you know, some desire, some, tenacity in their in their bones that they it's it related to them it was relatable and it allowed them to feel like who they want to be or who they need to be yeah yeah. well it's there you valued them Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. give them value and that what 
more can you ask for? Yeah. Well, and, and, and I'm going to double hit on Lisa's the, – the whole concept of self-esteem because we know we, – we work with adults who have poor self-esteem. They've never had good self-esteem. And when you get somebody who is – you know, somebody who comes into my office and they're 17 or 18 and acting out sexually, they've never had a good self-esteem. It's never been developed because they're, they're in a household where it's – Mistake, punishment, mistake, punishment. And that's the only cycle that that happens in their home. They've never been encouraged. They've never been been that their their personalities have never been fostered and and, and, uh, and, and investigated and and encouraged. It's always just like like. uh, Sorry. Yeah, it's so true. When I first started working with these troubled teens. Um, I had no training. Oh, I know that's not true. I'd worked through the government. I'd gone into homes where people were struggling with parenting and I was a support. So I'd done some training through the government with that. Um, but I did all the talking in the classes and the teachers. <laughs> said yeah. that wasn't. Anyway. Um, so then what I did was they said, you know, where we really need help in the community is with these troubled teens trying to be integrated back into schools. So they said, could you do that? And I said, well, I don't know. I'd never worked with them before. So the very first time I met uh, the one that turned out to be the most challenging was uh, he was 15 and uh, tall, lanky, you know, really scary looking. And I was, just, I kind of looked like Mary Poppin back in the day, you know, <laughs> you know and, and uh, goofy because humor is always my, my lead. I always lead with that. And uh, so we met, we'll sit, call him Johnny. So that the police were there, the you know principal, everyone was there. Like they're all kind of like, what's going to happen here. But he had requested me because the other kids had worked with me. And they said, yeah, Lisa's cool, right? So they, so that's the only reason he agreed to even work with me, this kid. So he looked down at me. Now, this was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he looked down at me and he says, God, you're old. And I looked up at him and I said, God, you're ugly. And it was this instant, <laughs> like, you think you can pull that crap on me? Well, he tried so hard, but I could see the corner of his, his lip, like he was trying not to smile. But it was that instant, like, I'm not going to take any crap. I'm not afraid of you. But you know what? It was funny. And that was our connection. And from then on, and then afterwards, I said to all the kids too, and they were really difficult. And I said, you know, I need something to like. I can't just work with you. I need something where I like you, where I'm not going to keep coming back. Mm -hmm. So I said to this one boy who was really foul, and I said, look, I need something to like because you're really quite revolting to be around. So again, he kind of smiled. You can sort of see it. That was our connection. But what I did was I got him to look within himself. Like you said, that metacognition, like you said, thinking about thinking. I made him stop and think, but what is likable about you? We never really found much. (laughs) But humor, you know, it was humor. So I worked with him for two years. And it was humor. I never once, I never once opened up this file. Um, and cause I didn't want to, I said, you know, what you do is not who you are. I want to find, you know, who I can like and bond. And that's all. It was so simple though. It wasn't complicated. It was just, you know, he was funny. So we'd say the odd funny thing and we both crack up laughing. Well, who do you think he wanted to please? He not only wanted to please me, he didn't, he didn't want to be told, he didn't want me to hear that he was acting out with the teachers either. So he all around became a nicer kid because I valued him. I valued his laughter and we had a connection and I grew to love him. And, you know, and that, what more can you get in life to be valued? Like when you said to that student, go find the answer and tell us that's being valued. Yeah. That, yeah. Like, you have something to offer. You have something to offer and mm-hmm. we want to know what it is. Yes. And it just makes you feel good, doesn't it? It does. 
You know, you're reminding me, and just to get off the track a little bit, Lisa, you're reminding me of when I worked at this alternative school, I, I had to go into this specific classroom, and, and these kids were like eighth grade. And um, they had an ex-Marine as a teacher. And so he he ran his room, you know, very in a very strict, old-fashioned way. And every time the teacher left the room, the kids kept saying, oh, fuck him and F this and fuck that. And, and I, you know, at first I was like, okay, guys, you know, let's kind of pull it together. You know, let's get focused, blah, blah, blah. Every freaking time I walked into the room, fuck this, fuck that. So finally one day I said, you know what, everybody sit down for a minute. And I wrote in big, huge letters, fuck on the board. I said, oh, my God, I am so sorry. You guys have been saying fuck every day. And I didn't realize you're ready for sex education. I said, so as your teacher, I apologize that I have not been paying attention to the fact that you guys want to talk about sex. It was the first time the whole room stopped talking. And then I, the biggest troublemaker in the room, I said, you know what? I said, you seem to know the most because he talks about sex all the time. I said, I need you to come up and you're going to write. And what I want to do is I want us to write all the different words that mean the same as fuck. And so we wrote intercourse and lovemaking and I, you know, they all, you know, started and they got really nervous and some didn't want to talk. And then we started to get into like the real issues that were happening in that classroom. Because again, this, again, this is middle school and I was in there for teen pregnancy issues. And it was when I finally connected with these kids and they liked me. And the problem was though, I forgot to erase the word fuck. Uh Oh, and the Marine, the ex Marine teacher came back into the room and reported me to the principal and I was taken down. I got, I was walking out of the building and the principal stopped me and said, Mary Grace, I need you to come in here. And I said, he goes, how's it going? I said, really well. We're having great connections. These kids are amazing. He goes, I got to ask you something. Like, did you write the word fuck on the board? You know, really big. I said, yeah. And he goes, you didn't erase it. And this teacher is having a major, he doesn't want you to come back. He said, now, th- I had a great principal at the alternative school. He goes, I think you're connecting with these kids. I think you're doing a great job, and I'll handle him. But if you need to swear in any way, get rid of all proof is basically what he said to me. And I did. And these kids were amazing. This this is the same classroom that I taught the lie list, how to buy time, what to do. Um, but I finally connected with them, and I, <laughs> I started with their language, And they were, I actually was worried about working with these kids, but they were like one of my favorite groups of kids to work with. And at 13, they knew the stuff that they ended up sharing. And when we're talking about self-esteem, they didn't have any, they had no self-esteem. I asked everyone in the class, if you could all be virgins again, and I had a magic wand. How many of you would want to be a virgin? And what All shocked me? Yes. Yeah, I of course. Wand. I actually yeah. had to sit down and went, oh, my gosh, you guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They all want to be innocent. And, you know, every single troubled teen I've worked with has said 
they wish their parents had been tougher on them growing up. And because they really want to be innocent. There's a part of them that wants to be pure and innocent. Now, also, I said earlier that when children get it or young adults and teenagers get into the hookup culture, it affects them for life. I also say to them, you know what? Screw it. You did that. Let it go (coughs) forward because you can always recover from these things. And that's why a lot of them become suicidal because I've worked with a lot of kids who tried killing themselves. You know, it's okay. It's not who you are. And just because you did something stupid, we've all done dumb things. And I said, just because you've done something stupid, which it was, acknowledge that it was dumb. So what? Move on. You know, but they really want to be, they kind of really want to be innocent and they all want to be like, they all want to be good. They want to be good people. But they, anyway, the reason why the kids liked you is they felt heard and they felt valued. And that's why is because as soon as they feel heard and understood, um, quick story about my son. He was 15 and a half. I mean, we were best buddies, the best. Oh my God. We had so much fun. I've never, he's like Jim Carrey. He's yeah. so funny, physical humor. He turned 15 and a half and this is all I saw. Like yeah. he went moody, right? So that, how am I going to connect with this kid? Like I thought we were going to be best friends for life, you know, but no, he turned 15 and a half and that was it. He was moody and miserable. So I thought, what am I going to do here? Because I've worked with so many kids before, but when it's your own, right? Oh, yeah, it's different. Mm-hmm. It's different. You're with them 24-7. I can't use the same charm that I did. He yeah. didn't think I was so funny. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what I did was I started sitting down beside him while he was playing video games. And I'd have a magazine. It was no pressure. I would yeah. bring a magazine and sit beside him. Next thing you know, he'd start talking about the game. And then we'd start talking... Then he'd start playing heavy metal music for me. And I started to like it. And I can't fake that stuff. I'm either, I just don't. So he found some songs that I actually like. Ended up loving NWA's Greatest Hits. If you know what that is, it's revolting. I put my wheels up in my minivan. I used to play that full blast. Loved it. That's because I had a son. Because I was very, I'm very impressionable. Like I want to connect. So, but it's because he felt valued. I sat there and I was interested in what he was doing. You have to enter their world. Too many parents say, do you really want to upset me? Do you know it hurts my feelings? But, oh, what a selfish thing to say to a two-year-old. <laughs> yeah. You know it hurts my feelings when you act out? They don't give a crap. Really, it's all about them till they reach about 18 or 48. I mean, really. really <laughs> yeah. So you have to learn how to not expect them to care about your feelings. But if you connect with them, they will. They don't want to upset you. If they've connected with you and they really respect you and they feel valued and their self-esteem is directly attributed, directly associated with you. Do you think yeah. that's going to displease yeah. you in any way? Yeah. That, that, you, Lisa, you hit on something because I have an 18-year-old son. And, and Matthew and, and Mary Grace, you know the parents that come in and they're like, Oh, this kid, he makes me so angry. He just sits in his room and plays video games all day. But but the thing is, here's the interaction between the parents and the kids. Get off that stupid game. You've been on there enough. Just a waste of time. They, they don't try to understand what it is they're enjoying about it. Are they enjoying interacting with friends? Are they enjoying a theme? Maybe they like computers. Maybe they like programming. They, they don't. They don't take an interest in the kid. Can I tell you, sorry, can I tell you a really funny story? Because yeah. I know I'll forget. <laughs> My son, I'm so useless at video games, and there was a race car one. He used to do the replay and then hand it to me, and I thought I was driving. And all of his <laughs> friends, they all like, look at me. It was the replay. How embarrassing. Yeah. So I became the butt of a lot of jokes, too. He eventually told me. But <laughs> 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 There's 
a, you can have a lot of fun if you're willing to enter their world and stop telling them it's yep. wrong. Yep. And this yeah. is what I see. You're, you're absolutely right. Stop telling them they're wrong all the time. Yes. Get involved. Sit yep. down. Connect with them. Yeah. You know, shut up and listen to them for a change. They may know more than you about some things. That's yeah. And that's the truth. Believe me. I could yeah. love them. I do. You know, that makes me think of something that I say to young people um, when they do make a mistake and especially in the hookup culture and with sex and they do something they don't want to do, they get intoxicated, whatever it is. And that low self-esteem shows up and they get into just, you know, going along and they come in and they feel the shame, they feel the guilt. And I, I usually say to them, look, you're, you're doing this for a reason. There's something going on with you. You know, we don't make mistakes unless something is going on or our body is trying to tell us something. And, you know, I usually tell them that you got to fall in love with these mistakes because they're going to tell you the next lesson that you need to learn what you need to get next. It's important. We have a tagline on here. Don't let your crap control you. Take control of your crap. Fall in love with it. We all have crap. We all have shit. We all have a bag of shit that we got to master in our life. And the key to good mental health, I believe, is to fall in love with that shit and fall in love with that crap so that you then can shift it and control it and lead it and move yourself through whatever it is you need to you need to master. And so when I think about young people today, especially these college students who get into these experiences and then have guilt or or feel this emptiness afterwards, because I hear that a lot. I feel so empty and I'm so lonely. You know, I have friends, but I don't have friends. Um it, it really is about the self-esteem, like you said, Lisa. It really is. You know, there's, for some of these kids, they got woundings in there from, you know, younger years or experiences. And they, that wound and that self-esteem needs attention. It needs, it needs guidance. It needs um, care. It needs understanding. It needs value. So I have two things on that. One, anybody who's who's caring or around a young person, it's important to listen to them and to not judge them when they come to you and they speak whatever truth it is that they're going through. It's so important to embrace them in that moment. It takes a lot of courage for these kids to do that. And they value that relationship with you enough to bring it up or to try to come awkwardly to you to talk about it. So uh, for some people, they want to get angry first and they got to put that on the back burner. They, they have to understand that this, this is really hard for this young person to do. And then you need to sit down and take a breath with them and, and support them and value them and get them to be okay with that experience or that incident or whatever it is that they're going through so that they're safe enough and, and with you being safe enough to explore what's going on and to be able to talk about it so that they can then in turn master whatever. They can define what is right for them, sexually, dating, relationships. They need that sacred space to be able to figure it out and talk about it. And I think, you know, 
for us older people, we forget how hard it is and how scary it is and how difficult it is. And we're not aware, especially our age, a lot of adults aren't aware what these kids are up against. They don't know their worlds. They don't take the time to get into them. And they need to. It's very important. These kids are floundering right now. It's well, you know, I, I actually, I think they're a lot smarter than we were. I think they, um, you know, we were more naive. We didn't have the internet to educate us so young. And just because they know a lot doesn't mean they're any more mature because yeah. their brains are still developing. But something that I did with my kids, which I teach this to parents, and they really struggle with this, is I say, do you ever say, do you ever say you're sorry to your kids or apologize to them? Why would I? Do you know what he did to me? Right. Do you know? And like, like, shut up. Okay, I got it. Like, he's a pain in the ass. I get that. But you know where? You know where I start is I say the first thing. This is, I don't always like to talk about this because it sounds so stupid. But if you've got a troubled teen, the first thing I get you to do is say, "I'm sorry, I haven't been a better parent." Yeah. It well. One of the reasons it's not necessarily that you are a bad parent, but it's what you use to get in the door. They listen to that. What have they got to fight back about? And you know what? They never say, you're right, you've been shipped. They never do. They they go, oh, why do you say, or you weren't so bad? Or, you know, yeah, yeah, it, it softens everything. It, it opens up a door. But um, one thing that I did with my kids really early on, and I just, because I do this anyway with everybody, is I'm really good at apologizing when I screw up. And my son always, he's funny when he always says, well, that's because you've had a lot of practice. Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> I learned my kids from a very early age. If I messed up and I felt like I overpunished them or something, I said, you know what? Mommy's sorry. I said it was all my fault. And I never said I overpunished because you were so rotten. In other words, that's making them accountable for it. This is how you apologize. And there's so many lessons in this. So this is what I teach to parents. And they struggle with this. Like you wouldn't believe because they've never apologized to their children, which I find amazing. In other words, you've never shown that you're weak and you're not perfect. Like, you know, and you've never shown them how to apologize. And so anyway, what I do is I say apologizing is a three-step process. You say the words, I'm sorry, which I hate. They don't mean anything to me, but everyone wants to hear them. So the first step is say, I'm sorry. Second step is it was all my fault. Not because you did this, but just say it was all my fault. I overreacted. I yelled. I shouldn't have. My fault. I'm really sorry about that. Then the third one is making amends. So what can I do to make it up to you? And it's a really powerful powerful tool. Yes. It's so powerful. As is my kids never thought I was perfect. They just thought I was. And, but they learned how to do that. So if they messed up, oh, geez, mom, I'm sorry. Um, I forgot to do this or whatever. What can I do to make it up to you? And I might say something like, well, I'd really like a scalp massage, you know, something like that. Um, so they, we learned how to be, a, it's teaching children and adults too. I'm teaching these parents. I don't teach kidding. Kids already know how to be kids. Yeah. I teach parenting. It's yep. teaching parents how to be accountable. And when you show that, you're teaching your children how to be accountable. That is what is missing today mm-hmm. is accountability. People get parking tickets all the time and they fight it. Well, you know, I was only in there for a minute. What the, are you talking about? There, there was no money in the meter. You got a parking ticket. Eat it. Like, I would eat that. I would apologize to the parking meter. For, I'm really sorry. I know I messed up, you know. But it's about the lack of accountability. There is none anymore. People just say stuff like, it's not who I am. You made me do it. Um, I was just in the coffee shop for a minute. It's the lack of accountability, which stuns me with adults. And they're teaching that to their children. I know. I know. But that's a really powerful thing. That's huge. That's, you know... I think 
We, in fact, it was so funny, Lisa, is on the last podcast, you remember we were talking about apologizing and how powerful we it did. is. We did. Yeah. Huge. It's you know. huge. And it's very loving. It's a, it's a wonderful gift to give someone that really third is. one. What can I do to make it up to you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, depending on what it is. And I always try and use humor. And I, I, plus, I always try and use something bonding. And whenever I discipline my kids, it was always a bonding thing. Like I'd say to my son, um, sweetie, okay, 24 hour media blackout or give mommy a makeover. Yeah. <laughs> he did that once he was about 13 14 and he had to give me a full makeup makeover and be nice while and i laid on the couch he said it was like a serial killer oh pretty girl like i'm just laying there relaxed and one of his friends came in the back gate and saw this going on like how messed up is that <laughs> you know? but then after that he chose 24-hour media blackout and it was only because he forgot to make his bed or something a little yeah, like that yeah, yeah but yeah. it's such a gift to give someone it's saying you know what i'm sorry and i value you enough what can i do to make it up to you yeah. You know, yeah. and parents will say, well, if I apologized every time I'd yell, I'd be apologizing all the time. I said, well, then do it mm. or stop yelling. Yeah. Stop yelling. But he yells at me. And I say, who's the adult here? For God's sake, you've yeah. got to set the example, pull yourself out of that me, 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 you know, you got to give and give and you'll, then you'll get back. You give first, then yeah. you get. That's right. That's right. So I, I think what's, you know, so important for listeners right now is I hope that they're hearing that there's two parts to this. There's the young people who are in the hookup culture who are struggling and who are dealing with, with a lot, a lot of intensity and stimuli from technology, from media, all these different places. And they're getting themselves into situations that they feel bad about that they don't understand, that they're confused about. These are not bad kids. These are amazing young adults. And it's really tough out there. And so on the support side, that you have to understand that their self-esteem is really, it's taking a hit. And it already started out of the gate, vulnerable and struggling. Um, and so I hope that the people that are supporting them, parents, aunts, uncles, friends, whatever it is, can hear what we're saying in regards to being an effective support system for these young people, because they really do need it. And Matthew and Dave and I, we, we get the kids when they've come, you know, from a party or a very bad experience and are in shame spirals and paralyzed and have difficulty talking. And you too, Lisa, I'm sure you you see these kids. The other side is the kids that are in this hookup culture. And what, what I want you guys to understand is if you're really, really struggling and getting into scenarios that you're not comfortable with, that you don't like, or you have these constant regrets, um, well, number one, you're not alone. It's, it's really going on with a lot of young people, especially these college students. Number two, really get a hold of the drinking because I want you to step back and see how much you're drinking and how much it, it's affecting your ability to think through what you would really like for yourself and what you really want in that experience. Um, because so many are connected to drugs and alcohol as far as hookups and, and going too far. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to touch on just real quick is to know if you're looking for a relationship, like 
a more fulfilling emotional experience with the physical, um, you, you have to slow down because relationships, when they form, they go through a honeymoon period. And that honeymoon period is between three and six months. And what that means is you're going to see the best of that person in the three to six months. But we all, and we all do this. We put on our best, you know, appearances, behaviors, you know, talking, communicating, being invested. It's just normal. The honeymoon period is normal. Um, but you, you start to see who the person really is with time. So time, taking your time sexually, and, and you need to define what that means. Like, if you don't want to go to full intercourse, then how long do you prefer to wait before you get to that point? Um, but you may be okay with touching or, or, or oral, whatever it is, but you need to figure out what is most comfortable for you. And if you are looking for a relationship, you have to take your time because you aren't going to know who you really have unless you give it some time. The second important thing that I want to make sure for the young college student who might be listening or the high schooler is you have to have wants, needs, limits, and know to know who's in front of you, to know who you're dating. If you don't have that, and if you are always complicit or submissive, you're not going to know if you have a narcissist in front of you, a self-centered, arrogant person who is entitled, who just wants to take advantage of you. So you have to learn to get more comfortable stating, I'm not comfortable, or I don't like this, or please slow down. And you watch to see how they react. If they're respectful, if they are concerned about where you're at and how you feel, you're going to see that this might be a nice person. This could be a very nice person to get to know. So the key is you have to have wants, needs, limits, and knows, and feelings, And to learn how to express them and to say them. And I tell real young people, I say, just start small. You know, oh, back up. You're, you know, you're, you're almost too much. I need a little bit of space. Watch how they react to that. If they make fun of you or make you feel bad, back them up. That's a reflection of them. That is not a reflection of you. And so those were the the three key things that I wanted to make sure, um, the young people heard who are experiencing the hookup culture. And is there anything that Lisa, you want to add to that or Dave and Matthew? Um, yeah, I think that's really good. I think that, um, you know, asking them to watch with the alcohol and all that, that's really tricky. That's, I'm kind of going, yeah, that's not going to work. Like they're just yeah. going to start drinking and they're going to be gone. So I, I'm always behind the scenes working on self-esteem. Find what you enjoy, find what makes you feel good about yourself and focus on that mm-hmm. and only be around people who make you feel good about yourself. And you do that for other people too. It's not a one-way street, but yeah. find people that you value and that value you. And it's better to be alone than to be with people who make you feel like garbage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But self-esteem is everything. Yep. It is. It really is. And I'm, and again, on the support side, I really hope they're hearing the importance of that. Dave and Matthew, before I do a, a, a complete stop soon here. I think, there- I think just investing in yourself, I mean, for any of the listeners, I mean, make those emotional investments, deposit those into your emotional bank so you can withdraw them. 
you know, finance, I mean, obviously you do it financially and, you know, we, we, our lives are actually patterned in these reinforcement cycles in our life. Why not reinforce our emotions and our, you know, our intimacy and, you know, the, the value of that we have, you know, invest in that, make those deposits into that emotional bank account. And then you're going to be able to withdraw it. Like Lisa was saying, you're not going to be afraid. We're not, you're, if you invest in yourself and you value and you learn how to be around people. So I think also for listeners to hear, if you're in a position or you're in a circumstance or in an environment where you don't feel like you are valued, you actually can be in, be in charge of yourself, be around other people, places, things, and situations and events that teach you and you can slowly teach yourself how to internalize that and value yourself. And then you get to make those investments and then you can withdraw it. So it might be where you work on yourself for six to nine to 12 months, so you, you know, two years, you've invested in yourself so much that you've reached that point where you leave a job that has not valued you or you leave a relationship that, you know, you felt taken advantage of, but it's those investments that are, that will pay off. Yeah. Be patient. Be patient with yourself. Be patient and easy on yourself. The the biggest thing is, and and I'm I'm, going to simplify it right down. And I would say, I say this to clients all the time. If you're not happy with how you feel, let's find something different to do. You have to change something because it's not working the way it is. And then we, we search that out. And, and don't be afraid to find somebody to support you mm-hmm. and to help you to find it and to work it out. Yep. Well, and don't be afraid to fail either. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, that is such a good place to. Yeah, to that's, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Don't be afraid to fail. Um, Lisa, thank you so much. You are amazing. Um, and again, you can find Lisa at bratbusters.com. Lisa Bunnage. Um, she's from Canada. Um, and gosh, it was wonderful having you today. We really enjoyed it. And you gave us great information. I really enjoyed it. Hope I was able to pass on some wisdom. Absolutely. I a little to pass on. Nope. That was great. <laughs> you had a lot. You had a lot. It was great. Thank you so much. And to our, our listeners, um, we're going to catch you next week. So thanks, everybody, for joining us tonight. Bye, everyone. See you guys. Bye, everyone.